Hi, welcome to episode 75 of Invest in You, where we will be interviewing Eric Deckers. Alright guys, so Eric Deckers is someone I found online on another podcast, and he is a social media expert. He's been doing blogging since the 1990s, yes that's right, since pretty much when the internet started. And he's also been writing a number of books, he's, he's a ghostwriter. And we also have some great advice on how you can start thinking about your own book. Uh, we'll of course talk a little bit about uh, Charlie's and my book as well, How to Make Money as a Teenager. Without further ado, Charlie, would like to welcome Eric. Yeah, welcome to the show, Eric. So tell us a bit about yourself, who you are, and so on. Hi, uh, great to be here. So uh, my name's Eric, and I am a professional writer, a, a corporate ghost writer, and an author of several books on social media marketing. I'm based in Florida in the United States and uh, lived in Indiana uh, and Indianapolis for most of my life. Great. Okay, so you're in the US and I'm in Sweden and dad is in Sydney, right? <laughs> yeah, today. Straight God bless the internet. <laughs> Great stuff. Okay, so I would like to say a few more things about Eric from, from the research. I found Eric through listening to other podcasts and uh, I was very curious to find out more because I like the, the energy from you, Eric, uh, and also I was digging a little bit deeper, so I found your blog, I found books, and uh, it seems like you also like to help other people, right? Yes, I love helping other people. Cool, that's, that's awesome. Uh, and you also an early adopter by using the internet really early. I started to use it also quite quickly. When did you start to use the internet? Do you remember? Gosh, uh, well, and what's funny, it wasn't even the internet uh, when I started using it. Uh, we had, the internet was one of a few networks. There was also a network called BitNet. Yes. And so this was back in 1991. And uh, so I was around when the World Wide Web became a thing. And you could, uh, you could get Netscape Navigator. Uh, and this was yes. 1995, 96 that I started. And so then I was an early adopter to social media. I uh, joined Twitter in 2007. Um, my 12-year Twitter anniversary is coming up in December. Yeah, uh, and so I've always been early on the internet. Uh, so you know, if it's been there, I've been on it. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And and also, how did you come into the the space of writing and writing for also for other people? I found I had an aptitude for writing when I was in college and started writing for my school newspaper. And I always did well uh, on my papers for class. Uh, And so when I started working uh, in marketing, I made sure that writing was always a part of that. And uh, as I got better at it and more, you know, more used to it and enjoyed it more, I started looking for more opportunities to do it, whether it was as a sideline and a freelance thing or, uh, I became a newspaper humor columnist, and I've done that for 25 years. I'm still doing it. Um, and then eventually, I worked myself into this position now where I write professionally for other companies. I've done that for the last 10 years where my day job is spent writing. Uh, my hobbies and my sidelines are also writing. So uh, I've been fortunate in that I get to do what I love for my job, but it just, it was sort of an outgrowth of the experiences I had and the opportunities that I created. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. I've been just working the last few days with uh, teaching negotiation uh, in uh, Shanghai as well as Sydney. And one of the key things there is the different modes of how we communi- communicate from 
the actual words to the tonality and also like the whole body language. How mm-hmm. can you get all of this complexity into to just words, so to speak, when you're writing, especially humor, which is also a hard thing to write about, in my view? Oh, sure. And and like you were saying, it, uh, you know, I've got a, a nearly have a master's degree in speech communication, and one of the things that they told us over and over again is ninety three percent of our communication is nonverbal. And yes. so, how do you how do you show just emotions with words and that is where word selection and word choice becomes very important you can't be vague about you know word choice you can't talk about things and stuff you have to use specific words and and so you use emotional words and, and words that that pack an emotional punch they have a, a history and a, and a deeper feeling to Love those it. individual words Love and it. so there's that but there's also just understanding how to tell a story. You know, I can tell a certain story that can make you sad, or I can tell a certain story that can make you happy just with the subject of the story. You know, does the, does the good guy win in the end or did he lose or, you know, things like that. And so being able to combine powerful language with interesting stories uh, and then using the, the right I guess word structure, sentence structure, paragraph structure to to evoke that emotion. So I can I can make people laugh uh, just by using a combination of all of those things. And other writers, other drama writers, or uh, uh, yeah, dramatic writers that I know, they can uh, get a tear out of somebody doing that same thing. So you have to you really have to understand and appreciate language uh, and know how to tell a story in order to elicit that emotional response. Yeah, that's, that's a great one. It sounds like you've really been reading my mind on my slides from today. I used exactly the same thing, talk about uh, Meridian's research, about like different communication modes, as well as words leads to uh, pictures in our mind that leads to feelings. So yeah, excellent show that, Eric. Sean, let's, let's uh, jump into one of your questions. So um, you do, but well, actually I have one question first. Um, this ghostwriting, whatever it's called, how does that work? So ghostwriting uh, is basically, if, if you're not familiar with the term, uh, you know, the ghosts are uh, heard but not seen. And so to be a ghostwriter means that uh, your, your client, your, especially for speechwriters, your speaker, uh, they, it's their words that are being presented to the audience, but you're the one who actually did it. So... Uh, you know, so for somebody who writes a book, but they didn't really write it themselves, they hired somebody to do it, but they put their name on it. That's what ghostwriting is. And so it's primarily used in book writing. <clears throat> you get a lot, used to get a lot of uh, famous athletes or famous movie stars who would have a book, but you, you just knew from their life and how busy they were. They didn't have time to sit down and write this book every day for a year. They had to get somebody else to do it. And it's the same thing with speeches for politicians or for uh, corporate executives. They just don't have the time to sit down and write a really good speech. That takes hours. It takes many, many hours. And they just don't have, you know, they barely have an hour to do it. And so uh, the ghostwriter is the person who has those skills that I was talking about earlier. uh, And they're hired to come in and basically be, uh, be heard, but not be seen by the public. And so... Uh, sort of the evolution of corporate ghostwriting 
was born out of that. Uh, a lot of companies should be online. They want to have a blog. It helps them be found on the search engines. It helps them sound like experts and authorities, but they just don't have the time and the, the resources to do it themselves. And so yeah. they hire somebody like me to get that done. But do you like get crediting, accredited in some way when you're ghostwriting? Uh, typically not. Uh, nowadays, uh, a celebrity or a movie star who publishes a book, they always list the, the, the ghostwriter as sort of the co-author. So you might see somebody like Ronaldo with somebody else. And yes. you know that the person who was with, they did all the writing. But it was Ronaldo who told all the interesting stories. So, so then you get to see that. But in my case, as a corporate ghostwriter, I rarely get that kind of credit. Uh, and, and that's fine. But that's what people are paying for. They're paying for uh, me to not, you know, they're, they're paying for my ego to kind of take a break. <laughs> yeah. Speaking or writing, which is your favorite? I know you do a lot of writing, but what about speaking? Which is your favorite? Uh, if I had to choose where I could only do one, I would rather be writing. But I do love speaking in public. Uh, that's uh, Work-wise, that's my second favorite thing. And so uh, I like to write articles that I know I'm going to be talking about in public later uh, or writing speeches and presentations that I know I'm going to be giving. That's always fun. Uh, and that actually sort of affects how I write certain things as I write it to be spoken. But if I had to choose, I'd rather write uh, if I had to give one up. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we're both uh, creating content, both me and Sean independently, but also together, just like you do. Sometimes people don't have the time to, to do the creativity, etc. etc. So I heard you on another blog. I'd love to share this also with our audience it was your story around how other people completely just copied your work. Do you, do you recall what I'm talking about? And would you mind share the story? Sure. Um, if, it, if it's the one I'm thinking of. Uh, so I've been writing a, a newspaper humor column for nearly 25 years. Yeah, and I found that uh, completely by accident, I found that an associate editor of a small paper in Canada had stolen one of my columns. And this is back in the you know, late 1990s, early 2000s. And I, I basically, I told on him to his publisher. And, uh, and then I turned around and asked for lenience for the guy, because he was a young, young man. And I said, if this was his only mistake, uh, I certainly don't want him to end his career because of this. And, and the publisher did a little investigating and he saw that, yes, this was the only time and so the guy was suspended for like 60 days. And I thought, oh, that's fine. Uh, you know, hopefully he learned his lesson. And then a few years ago, I get an email out of the blue from this, this guy from Singapore who says, hey, you don't know me, uh, but uh, there is an American newspaper editor, the editor-in-chief of a small weekly paper. Uh, he has stolen several people's columns and published them as his own. And so we found out, uh, we investigated, and, and the guy from Singapore sort of got to lead the charge, and he told the publisher, and this editor uh, ended up quitting before he could get fired. Yeah. And I thought this was the end of it. What was funny, the guy had actually won an award uh, from, <laughs> I think it was like the North Dakota Press Association. Yes. 
And so the six or seven of us who had been stolen from, we were all hoping that like, I hope it's my column that won, you know, because, <laughs> you know, maybe we would be entitled to the, to the award then instead. Uh, and it wasn't me. I, it was some guy from Texas. So I actually was a little disappointed. Uh, and not, not a month after that, I get a different uh, email from somebody in Hawaii who says, you don't know me, but uh, several of us have had this publisher in Canada steal from us. I was like, what? Again? And I looked at the, the people that the first guy had mailed, and I looked at the people the second guy had mailed, and imagine a Venn diagram with only one person in the middle, All and right. that was me. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this other guy in Alberta had, had stolen a year's worth of columns from people, and uh, uh, we ratted him out to the Alberta Press Council, and they removed him from the council uh, I think the the Chamber of Commerce in his city removed him from the chamber, or at least from yeah. the chamber leadership, and he stepped down as the publisher of the paper. He maintained ownership, but he stopped publishing the paper. Uh, so I've been stolen from three times. So far, Canada leads the United States two to one. So I'm hoping <laughs> America can pull through for one more time and to bring it to a tie. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good. Surely, uh, when you watch uh, YouTube quite a lot, do you also see other people just stealing, borrowing, or and copying other people's ideas? Yes, there's a lot of um, reacting to videos. I don't. I know they exist. Yeah, I think that's different um, a little bit. The way you build on someone's previous content and, and makes it even. Well, better. yeah, I mean, re- I mean, really. It's like they have the video uh, directly copied and then they just have like their face cam reacting to okay. it and they basically right. do nothing. I don't think that's what you mean though. But. No, no, it's just, just like stealing the whole idea, just uh, using it as your own, just like uh, Eric shares his, his, his yeah. example. Right? Yeah. And there are companies that, that have done that. I don't know if they still do it, but there would be a company. Let's say, uh, Sean, that you put out a video you produced your own video on YouTube mm. and you were getting traffic for it and you were, this is how you were making your ad money. Yeah. And then I took the video and I said, Hey, check out this video that Sean did, but I publish it on my YouTube channel or I publish it on my Facebook page yeah. and people watch that. And sure you're getting credit for the video, but they're watching it on my YouTube and my Facebook channels yeah. and yes. I get all the ad revenue. So Sure, you got your name on it, but you know the the five thousand dollars that that video made is yeah. all mine. And then you know, then you issue a takedown notice, and Facebook takes a week to look at it, and they go, "Oh, yep, he sure did," and they shut it off. But in the meantime, the you know the window of viewing for that video is over, and I got the money, and you did, and that kind yeah. of thing happens quite a lot, or it used to. Yes, I imagine it still does. I just haven't heard about it in the last year. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of a compliment that people steal your content because I guess they think it's worth your time. <laughs> it is a compliment, but my uh, I, my mortgage company won't let me pay in compliments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very, very, very valid and fair view as well. Yeah, absolutely. Charlie, let's uh, allow you, Charlie, to ask questions about uh, some of his books. Yeah, so can you tell us about your book, Branding Yourself? Okay. Uh, that was a, a book I wrote with a friend. Uh, his name is Kyle, and I had helped Kyle uh, 
In 2009, we wrote Twitter Marketing for Dummies. And in 2010, we wanted to write another book together. And the, the idea was, he said, let's write a book for you here in 2010 uh, to the guy from 2007. Basically, what I mean by that is when I moved to Indianapolis and uh, started working in the private sector there uh, in 2007, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody at all except one guy who had helped me get the job that I had. And since I was supposed to be selling and marketing this, this service, I had to meet a lot of people. And so I just started networking like crazy, going to different networking events, like, uh, like our Chamber of Commerce or a, a networking group called Rainmakers or BNI, if you've heard of that, Business Networking International. Yeah, yeah. I would go to all these different groups and just meet people and then go have coffee with them and uh, see what are some ways that I could help them. Uh, and at the same time, I started doing social media and, uh, and blogging and telling people, here's how you do this. Now, I'm supposed to be selling direct mail, but I'm teaching people how to do blogging and, and Twitter. And uh, three years later, I knew several hundred people in the city uh, and was connected, had a, a wide network just all around the Midwest, just from people I had met and people I met through those people. And so yeah. Kyle in 2010 said, let's write a book about basically the playbook to give to you from 2007 to get you to this point here. And so that was the book that we wrote. And, um, and it was basically uh, how to invent or reinvent yourself using social media. That's the, the subtitle of the book. And, uh, and so it's gone through, now it's in its third edition. Uh, the third edition came out in November, 2017. Uh, it's been published in, I think, seven or eight different languages all around the world. And I still hear from people on Twitter and on LinkedIn, uh, even on Facebook, who have said, hey, I, I read your book for class or uh, a friend recommended it to me in the bookstore. And I read, uh, I read these two chapters and I got a job because of it. Or I, got, I started a company and got new clients because I did these things that you said. So uh, I think to date, uh, when you mentioned earlier, liking to help people, I think this has been my favorite project because... I have helped people that I've never met just yes. by having this book out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's, that's a fantastic uh, story and share that. So in terms of Shawnee, we, we also have got one, one book has been published, another one has been written, uh, but we're working on something else together, Shawnee. Would you mind shout out for Eric? Yes, it's, going, it's a book for uh, teenagers or basically anyone. I think everyone... Uh, can benefit from this at least it's going to be called how to make money as a teenager oh that's a great idea yeah i love it as well so uh, and because teenagers uh, attention span and, and reading is not what it used to be uh, how do we how do we work around that charlie well uh first of all it's written from a perspective of both a grown-up and a child. So it's going to be from my perspective and we're going to be having links to many different videos. Yeah. Okay. So what are, what are some of the things that a teenager in Sweden can do to make money? Because I know in the United States, uh, like my son is 16 and he's looking for a job and he could either work at a McDonald's or a grocery store to help them bag the groceries 
or he could start his own lawn mowing business. And that's kind of the American uh, experience. But what do you do in Sweden? Well, I mean, same thing that you could either work or you could have a, you could start a small business or a large business. We, we do high level in some things and go deep into some things. One of the things that we go very deep into, I think, is social media, how you can make money off social media. Now, how do you do that? Well, I mean, it's like, for example, YouTube, there's like monetization, monetization. Uh, there is sponsorships, uh, I mean, writing books, uh, if that's the kind of social media, I'm not too sure. Yeah. But, sure, uh, we could call it that. We, we go into a lot of things in social media and basically everything, quite okay. high level in some areas, a bit deep in some other areas. You so agree, Dad? Yeah, so also the whole influencer, let's call it influencer, whether it's for real or not, uh, that industry has also been taken off. Uh, and also I love the aspect of, of being and using the whole idea of uh, being an affiliate. So basically you're sitting between the end customer and someone who's produced a great product or service. That's another way how people can quite easily uh, create an extra income stream. So Okay. Uh, but we also we do some of those same things here. I am curious, what is... Now, now, 20 years ago, the only way you could make money was to work. Yes. Uh, what are some of the typical jobs that a teenager in, in Sweden uh, could do? Well, there is, for example, my brother. Uh, what, I'm not, what's it called in English, what my brother is doing right now? Uh, basically, he's just had like a, an extra summer job working for one of the local entrepreneurs. So he's been helping out when he had spare time and learning how it is to have a job which is great from multiple perspectives. So seeing is this the kind of job he would like to have later or not? Uh, also yeah, helps yeah. With I, to be a teenager, it's quite decent pay when you don't yes. have to pay rent or something like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and here, uh, it's rare that you get sort of that, I guess you could call it an internship. Yes. Uh, but with an entrepreneur, most teenagers just work at a, at a job where they make minimum wage. Uh, yeah. And, you know, you, you have to clock in and clock out uh, and you're flipping burgers and uh, or you're bagging groceries. So, you know, it sounds like your brother's very fortunate because this is teaching him not how to work for somebody else, but how to work for himself when he's old enough. Yeah. yeah. And in our book, I think that we teach people which direction they should go in. It's not an exact guide, but we teach people many different ways how you can make money. So, of course, we'd love to hear your ideas there in terms of, uh, imagine that we had not done anything linked to a book, Eric, using your experience from, from writing. How do you even start something like a more comprehensive product like writing a book or, or a larger article? How do you start? Well, um, if we're talking about nonfiction, yeah. the, the best way to think about it, and we sort of wrote Branding Yourself this way, and even my other book, No Bullshit Social Media, we wrote it this way. We created the outline. Yeah. And, and the outline takes a little while. You know, a lot of people, it's not like an outline for a paper where it takes you 15 minutes and you're done. Uh, you know, the outline becomes the table of contents. And so we look at what are the sections we want to talk about? You know, we want to talk about online networking and in-person network. Uh, and then let's break the online networking down into what are the tools? Uh, blogging, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Google Analytics, and, and so then, break that down further, uh, blogging, well, what are the tools you need? How do you do it? Um, what are some of the best practices? And so then, 
eventually you get, you know, the, the chapter and the, the sub chapter and the sub sub chapter. And eventually when you, when you get to the point where you can't break it down any further without just being silly, uh, then you start writing and treating each sub chapter and sub sub chapter as a blog article. And I always recommend if you're going to write a book, you should have a blog because of nothing else that's going to give you the practice of, of writing. And you're just going to get better as a, as a craft by writing on a regular basis. But then if you were to treat each subsection as a blog article, and if you could cover that entire section in a thousand words, publish that, publish that as a blog article, let people read it, uh, let them give you feedback. You're going to, you're going to figure out some things uh, that, you know, you write that, you publish that article today. And then in December, you write something else and you think, oh, I need to go back and fix what I wrote back in October because my view on that has changed or the technology has changed or, you know, or whatever. But by, by uh, writing all of these articles, just one article a day, uh, you know, f- take it four days a week. You could easily write this book in a matter of months, but you're also getting feedback from people. And you're doing it a, a short section at a time where it's not sit down for three or four hours every day for two months and just crank this out. You know, by the end of that time, you're so sick of the book. It's like I've been working for so long. I just, I will publish anything just for this to be over. But if you can pace yourself, uh, it's, it's less, it's less difficult. It's less draining and you have more time to make it as good as you can yes yeah yeah that's quite similar to what we have done in terms of the outline the the subsections and also the cool thing with that and i can highly recommend i've done that on on the ones i've written so far is you can jump in and out and just pick to work on one of those just like you Mm -hmm. charlie what 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 do you think when you hear eric telling you that uh, that method i mean I don't, I don't really know what I should say. Uh, I can't really come up with an answer to that. That's okay. I don't want to put you on the spot. That's, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> and of course, it is going to depend on your own work schedule and your, your own preference. And maybe you don't have time for 30 minutes a day. Maybe you only have time for six hours on a Saturday. And then if that's the case, that's what you do. Um, you, know, you don't have to upend your entire life just to make it fit this once a day schedule. You really have to do what's best for you. But for people who, who they say they want to write a book and they don't know how to get started, that's, I think, the best place to start. And eventually they realize and learn what is their best practice. And then they just move into that mode. Yeah. My, 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 the second one I wrote, I basically just went up uh, one hour early in the morning for seven weeks, not all days, but many times uh, a week, and basically just flush out content, just like you explained there. So I can completely relate to that. That's, that's great. Charlie, mm-hmm. do you have any questions about his uh, other, the second book there? Yeah, so you have another book called, um, now I'm not too sure if we're going for clean r- lyrics with this podcast, <laughs> <Go> but <for> it. <laughs> they say BS social media. What yeah. does that mean and what is it about? So that was a, a book um, written for corporate executives who didn't like the idea of social media. And we wrote that one in 2011. 
when social media was still fairly new and they thought it was, they thought it was BS. Uh, and they, uh, they weren't going to use it for themselves. Okay. And so we wanted to build sort of a business case for why they needed social media for their company. Because most books, especially back then, most books were written. The first chapter would tell you, here's why you should use it. And then the second chapter assumed, okay, we've convinced you. Now here's all the things you need to do. Well, no executive is going to read that because you know they're so busy, especially these large companies. They're so busy, they're not going to get on Twitter. So they don't need the rest of the chapter. So we thought we just need one book that tells them, here's why your PR people should have it. Here's why marketing should have it. Here's why research and development should have social media. And so we made a business case for each uh, each department in a business, even human resources, and showed why it was important for them. And then they could they could give the book to somebody and say, okay, we're convinced you need to go do this. And then they would hand the book off to whomever, and, and that person would make it happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, something else you've been working with for a long time has been uh, Laughing Stick. How did you come up with the name? So, uh, yeah, so Laughing Stock. Oh, sorry. Um, oh, sorry, Stock Stock, I apologize. Yep, no, no problem. Um, so, uh, in English, a laughing stock. If you are the laughing stock of the entire city, uh, stock is spelled S T O C K. Yeah, I got And that's it. The, the traditional. But uh, in Indiana, where I'm from, we grow a lot of corn. We are one of the biggest corn producing states uh, <laughs> in the country. Yeah. And corn grows on a stock, S T A L K. And so I, I wanted to sort of, uh, of course, I lived in Indiana when I started this, and I lived in, in small town Indiana with a lot of farming going on around, and so I wanted to sort of reflect that. And so I called the column Laughing Stock, and, uh, and so I've been doing that for 10 newspapers in Indiana and one in Canada for the last year, and, uh, and just every Thursday night, I sit down and I write my column and at around one in the morning, it's done. And I send it off to my editors and then I schedule it for publication on my blog. Yes. Yes. Uh, I love that idea also to have uh, that uh, column because it's accountability. Just like a, a, a weekly podcast or whatever it might be. Uh, yes. That, that's great because it means that at least it worked for me. I like that, that little pressure with a deadline. So you actually have to do it. Yeah, and I've and because it's scheduled, my family knows. Yeah, I don't do anything on Thursday nights. If there, if it's right. inescapable, uh, I can either run a reprint or I will work ahead so that it's done by Thursday afternoon. Uh, but I rare like Thursday nights is column night. I don't go anywhere. I don't make any plans. I uh, and I, it's been nearly twenty five years. I think next March will be twenty five years, uh, and you know I've never missed a deadline by just by sticking to that strict schedule. I can't stick to that schedule for anything else. All right. <laughs> but that one I always manage to. So, Sean, that's a great learning for you. Consistency is, is really, really key. Uh, Sean, do you have yeah. a, a last short question before we wrap up? Um, I mean, how do you stay focused when writing? That's hard. Uh, that is still, honestly, that's still something I struggle with. I, I work from home. Um, my kids are all older, so it's not like, you know, I've got a three-year-old running in every five minutes to see what I'm doing. Um, but, uh, if I've got a deadline that I know I have to meet, then sort of that, that fear of missing it makes me focus. 
but my biggest distraction, honestly, is social media. And, uh, you know, I'll write a paragraph and I'll say, I wonder what Twitter's doing. And I'll go look at Twitter for five minutes. And then (laughs) uh, I should see if anything's happening on Facebook. And then, and so I can easily turn a 30 minute writing project into a two hour one. Uh, And and so (laughs) I fight that constantly. Yeah. Uh, Talk talk about another fight, which we might have with ourselves. The podcast name is Invest in You. What does that mean to you? Um, it means to me, it means put time and energy back into yourself. Uh, I know a lot of people who, when they talk about, I'm investing in myself, they're talking about money, but it doesn't always have to be money. Like I know people who, if they wanted to be better writers, they would invest in themselves by going to writing conferences. Uh, I invest in myself by reading a lot. Uh, that's free. I can go to the library check out a few books, find some author whose technique I like. And then I practice that over and over and over. I'm constantly trying that new technique in emails and client articles and blog articles for my website. So then when it comes time to do that in the place where I really want that technique to come through, it's already there. But for me, investing in myself means gaining new knowledge and then practicing it as much as I can. Yeah, I I know that you share a lot uh, every week in different uh, shapes and forms. If people like to follow your work or connect with you or even reach out to you, how can they do that? Um, So I am on Twitter at edeckers, E-D-E-C-K-E-R-S. I'm on Instagram at Eric Deckers, and that's E-R-I-K, the proper Scandinavian spelling. And... uh, Uh, You can also find my humor columns at ericdeckers.com or if if you wanted to find my work site, that is problogservice.com. One service, not several services. So problogservice.com. That sounds really great. So, Charlie, that's a wrap. We're running out of time here. Any minute, the the lovely browser will close down on us because we are in so many different places. Uh, Thank you very much, Eric, for taking the time. Sure. Thank you. It's good to talk to you both. Yeah. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for listening to episode 75 on Invest in You. We always like any feedback we can get. The best, my best, my favorite form of feedback is five-star reviews, of course, because then we know that we're doing the right things. Now, this episode was recorded in Sweden. I was in Sweden. Dad was in Sydney. And uh, where was... Eric was uh, in uh, Florida, America. Oh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, sorry if the audio might be 100% perfect. And we would love for you to have the chance not to miss future, future episodes. And for that to happen, subscribe. Goodbye. Bye.